I'm really nervous about this episode hitting the airwaves because today I am going to give you a sneak peek inside the pages of my brand new book. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Leanne Kim, and this is The Business of Thinking Big, the podcast where we talk all things business mindset, strategy, and hustle. So if you're looking to grow your revenue, serve more dream clients, and create amazing new possibilities, then you, my friend, are in the right place. Stay tuned. Hi, friend, and welcome to another episode of The Business of Thinking Big. As always, I'm your host and business coach, Leanne Kim, and I am a little nervous today to share this with you. Today, I've decided to share one of the chapters of my brand new book. Now, let me be clear. At the time of recording this, the book isn't actually complete. It's like 90% complete. However, we are still doing minor edits to the copy and we're still working on the cover and all of those final things that I talked about in another episode. By the time this airs, it would have been a few weeks before, but I am taking a big, bold move. I really believe that this book has the ability to change people's lives. And so I've decided to open the kimono a little bit and share with you chapter three, which is all about creating joyful customers in your business. And this chapter was an easier one for me. I was trying to think about what do I read? Do I just start with, you know, chapter one, the introduction? What do I want to share? And then I really thought, well, at the end of the day, this podcast is about giving you the tools you need to thrive in business and in life. So I decided to share chapter three, which is about joyful customers because of so many of the things I see women especially struggling with when it comes to their customers in their business and the relationship with those customers and the boundaries, especially with those customers. In fact, a lot of the women I coach, whether it's in my group programs or in VIP coaching, this is something that comes up a lot. So as you'll hear, I share a fictional example named Joanne in the book. But what you need to know about Joanne is Joanne is very much based on real life events. She is sort of the culmination of all of the different tales I have heard from various clients and even experienced myself a little bit over the years. So as I read this first thing, I want you to know that I have never read this out loud before. This is the first time. That is probably why I'm nervous is because I feel a little bit like I am back on stage in my drama days and I have these lines that I've never memorized. And then ever since those days, I've had those nightmares where I'm on stage and I'm like, oh no, I don't know my lines. I'm kind of experiencing that right now. I am not also the world's greatest reader in terms of like reading aloud. I'm good at speaking off the cuff, as you probably know from this podcast. I do not have a script for this podcast. So I'm going to ask that you sort of hold my hand through this, if you will. And I might also interject with a few additional thoughts and comments if need be. So we'll see how it goes. Everything I share within this book is 
so that you can design a more joyful business. And if you are working with people that you don't like or don't appreciate you, that is one of the things that needs to change. So this chapter is one of many that highlights sort of these problem areas. But my hope is that if we can help you kind of untangle this piece, then you'll be able to make some positive changes right here today, just by listening to this chapter. Of course, I'm going to want you to go and buy the book. That's kind of the point. I want to get this book in as many hands as possible. So my hope is that this little sneak peek will act as the teaser for you and get you excited for all of the other stuff to come. But without further ado, here is chapter three of building a joyful business, your joyful customers. Who you spend your time with is a big indicator of how much joy you will experience. For many of us, the people we spend the most time with in our businesses are our clients. Our clients are amazing, wonderful human beings who, in most cases, trust us long before anyone else does and pay us actual money to do the things we love. When you think about it, clients are pretty freaking cool. But what about when they're not so cool? Can we talk about that for a sec? Because this reality is something that I see hinders a lot of women from having the business of their dreams. They love what they do. They do it well. They're making a name for themselves and yes, getting paid, but they're attracting total duds. Why is this happening? Let me take a few moments to describe a pattern I see all too often. Meet Joanne. Joanne is a mom of two kids, and she decides to quit her corporate job to start her own business. She's taking a big leap, and she's excited, but also scared. She really needs to make this work. In the early days, she enjoys what she does, and she's ecstatic that anyone wants to hire her. She doesn't really care who hires her. She's just grateful to be doing what she loves and to be getting paid. So she attracts a wide variety of people all with different needs. She does her best to serve them all, even though some are not exactly a perfect fit. Some customers don't want her existing offers and some don't agree with her pricing. So she quote unquote customizes a package just for them. After all, if she doesn't make them happy, they'll go to someone who will. She doesn't want to be too picky. It's thrilling to be making a go of her business, but after a while, things start to get messy. Over time, Joanne's clients start mistreating her. They don't respect her boundaries because she doesn't have any. They walk all over her asking for more of her precious time and energy. Because Joanne feels like she has to take the work, because if not, who knows when the next client will come along, she keeps her head down and her mouth shut. She delivers on her client's every request, even though it's beyond the scope of what they've hired her to do. She's at their beck and call because she believes it's more important to go above and beyond especially in the early days when you're trying to prove your worth. Before long, Joanne's personal life is non-existent and she's working around the clock. Her family is frustrated by her lack of presence. She gets emails, calls, and texts from her clients at all hours demanding this and that, and she always responds right away, even if it's during dinner or her daughter's birthday party. Joanne grows frustrated, but she's not sure what she can do. If she changes things now, how will her clients react? They've come to expect a certain level of quote-unquote service from her, and she doesn't want to lose them. On and on, Joanne goes down this path until 
she burns out. She's simply had too much of it. She starts dreading getting out of bed in the morning for fear that when she does sit down to work, it will be an endless stream of requests to respond to and fires to put out. She no longer feels the same love she once did for her business, and she's considering getting a day job. Joanne hasn't built a dream business. She's built a nightmare, and all because she didn't take time to get clear on the type of clients she wants to serve. My hope is that this scenario doesn't apply to you, but perhaps some of Joanne's story might sound familiar. And if it does, don't despair, friend. This scenario is quite common, especially among female entrepreneurs in their early years. Here are some of the most common missteps I see when it comes to who we serve. One, we're not clear on the type of client we want to serve, and it shows. Our marketing and messaging is all over the place. Two, we're scared to niche down for fear we'll leave someone out or lose sales. Three, we don't set clear and consistent boundaries with our clients from the start, and if we do, we don't uphold those boundaries when it counts. Four, we don't clearly communicate our policies and procedures with our customers, often because we don't have any. Five, we let our clients call the shots in the name of customer service when really we're being ruled by our fear of people not liking us. Six, we resist speaking up when a client behaves poorly. Seven, we hang on to a client far too long, well after things have gone sour. I don't want you to experience any of these situations or the fallout that comes with them. That's why I've included this chapter in this book to help you get clear on who you really want to serve. Take a moment and answer these questions about your dream client. I'm going to interject here that one of the things I've done in this book is include basically like a workbook within the book. So there's a series of questions for every chapter that help people get clear on what it is they want to create. And there's going to be some downloadable resources that go with it so that they can actually print off their own workbook from my website, which is kind of cool. So just to explain a little bit more why I'm going to start to ask these questions. Okay, carrying on. Important. As you do this exercise, I don't want you thinking of just anyone. In fact, the more you focus on the exact person you want to serve, the better. Think about the kind of person you want to serve in your business. Someone who is top notch in your eyes, not just an average client, but your true dream client. I'll call them DC for short. Someone you'd be over the moon ecstatic to serve. Okay. Got them. Let's do this. Question one. Does your DC or dream client identify as a specific gender? If so, what gender? Two, what is the average age of your dream client? Three, where does your dream client live? Four, does your dream client have a life partner and or children? Five, where does your DC shop both in person and online? Six, what type of books, movies, or magazines does your dream client consume? Seven, what does your dream client do for fun? Eight, what does your dream client value more than anything? Nine, what stresses out your dream client the most and keeps them up at night? Ten, what does your dream client want or crave more than anything? And finally, what are your dream client's hopes and dreams? What do they aspire to be? Now, this isn't an exhaustive list, but hopefully by answering these questions, you're getting a clearer picture of the client you were meant to serve. And ideally, as you do this exercise, you're falling in love with them at least a little bit. 
You see, a lot of people don't take time to get to know their dream client at all. They see them as a paycheck, not a person. I see this tendency more with transactional businesses rather than service businesses, which tend to be more relationship-based. But our customers are people with hopes and dreams of their own. They also have unique problems that your products and services can solve. But all too often, they don't know that you have the solution because you're not speaking to them in a way that helps them see that. This work, getting clear on your dream client, is pivotal to a successful business. And it's the primary reason why I built my course, The Dream Client Formula. I saw coaches, consultants, and service-based business owners throwing all kinds of marketing out into the world. But it wasn't connecting. It seemed sales and forced and not at all coming from a place of serving others. In fact, a lot of the marketing I see today seems very self-serving. But our people are out there and they need us and they are the ones we must step up and serve. If we have a solution to someone else's problem, it is our responsibility to share that solution with them. When we do, they will feel so understood and so seen that they will be all too happy to invest in the solution. If you're looking to attract more dream clients, and you should be, I invite you to revisit this chapter every six months or so and redo the above exercise each time. Because here's the thing no one will tell you. As you grow and evolve, so will your customers. When I think back to the first few months of my coaching business, I was serving women who were relatively new to their businesses, making twenty or 30000 a year, and some not even that. They experienced a lot of imposter syndrome, and they had a lot of issues around being judged. Much of our coaching work was centered around helping them get out of their own way and having the courage to shine. Now, the women I coach on a one-to-one basis are already making six figures, and most are on their way to seven. They have a strong online presence. Many of them are on social media daily. They're comfortable with video marketing because they know it's one of the best ways they can connect with their customers and future customers. They're hosting webinars, launching podcasts. They have a wide variety of ways to reach their dream client because they know where that dream client hangs out online and what they're looking for. My work is spent helping these women with the big picture stuff. We look at the overarching strategy leadership skills, and revenue goals, aka the stuff that moves the needle. You see, as my own coaching skills have improved over the years, so has the quality of the problem I help solve. And as a result, the caliber of women I serve. The women I coach now are at a different stage in their business. Now, this is for my one-on-one services, I should mention. They are focusing on bigger, more complex issues, which I must say excites me to no end. You can expect this result too. The person you serve will likely look vastly different in 6, 12, or 24 months than they do today. And that's okay. It's a natural part of growth, which is why it's important for you to sit down and do some work on your dream client every six months at a minimum. What about those times when you think they're a dream client, but they're not? Sometimes we want to work with someone so badly that we're blind to certain red flags they present in the initial stages. This situation has sadly happened to the best of us, even me. One time in my first few years of coaching, I got an inquiry from a woman I knew and admired. 
Let's call her Kylie. She was young, attractive, and had a large social media following. She was an influencer and had this cool sense about her. She was also in a very young, hip industry. If I'm being honest, I had a bit of a girl crush on her. When we first spoke about working together, she rescheduled our call a few times, stating that life just got busy. No problem, I thought. I'd be happy to connect with her when it suited her. In our initial conversation, she made it clear that she had certain expectations about working with a coach, and she was looking for someone who fit the bill. We talked about a few ideas and strategies she could try, and she didn't seem too receptive to them. Looking back, I think she expected me to do the work for her, which for the record is not my job. She mentioned a few mutual connections of ours, but she didn't have anything nice to say about them. In fact, it felt a little like gossip. It made me feel uncomfortable, but I continued with our conversation because I really wanted a chance to work with her. Kylie asked what it looked like to work with me, and I explained the details of my six-month program. She balked at the price and asked if we could work together for three months instead. I told her that a shortened program was not something I typically did, but I would consider it in this case. She told me she needed to think about it, and she would get back to me the following week. Now, let's play a game called Spot the Red Flag, shall we? To the untrained eye, this scenario may look like just another sales call. But as someone who knows better, I can tell you it is a veritable parade of red flags. From the moment we started our conversation, it was obvious she needed to dominate the relationship. She was looking for someone who would do her bidding and with whom she could call all the shots. The very fact that she rescheduled our call multiple times indicated that she didn't really expect my time or my abilities. Another red flag was that she didn't value my strategic approach, nor did she really seem to understand what I did at all. She wanted someone to do all the work for her while she sat back and collected the profits. The fact that Kylie was speaking ill of our mutual contact should have told me everything I needed to know about her. I chose to ignore it and label it as a one-off discretion, but I shouldn't have. I now have a no-gossip policy in my business. End of story. The real kicker was asking me to downgrade my services to meet her budget. I have specific reasons why this particular program is six months and not three. She said she wanted to work with me, but she didn't want to do things my way. She tried to haggle with me and get a lower price, which is always a red flag in my books. In the end, I did mistakenly take her on as a six-month client, stating if she was unhappy in any way that we didn't have to continue, but that I was sure she'd get more than her money's worth. It should come as no surprise that at the three-month mark, she came to me in a huff stating a whole slew of complaints, none of which were valid. To make matters worse, I was going through a personal crisis at the time, and all of my clients knew about it. My father had been hospitalized quite suddenly, and I was forced to reschedule a few appointments. My family and I were beside ourselves with grief, and we feared the end was near. Happily and thankfully, he survived. But at that time, things looked very grim. Every other client of mine completely understood the situation and graciously offered me the time and space I needed to be with my family. Kylie, however, threw the situation back in my face. She said she couldn't tolerate my lack of attentiveness to her needs, and we parted ways. Ugh, I feel gross just thinking about it. And the worst part was I saw it coming. I knew after our very first conversation that she was not a dream client and we were not a fit to work together, but I took her on anyway with the hope that I could change her or make it work. I saw the red flags, but I chose to ignore them. 
Trust your gut. It is never wrong. If a customer is showing red flags, take note of them and do not under any circumstances shrug them off. Here are some universal red flags to look out for that can show up at any time in any industry. The earlier you notice these, the better. And while they may come up in the initial sales call, we often don't see red flags before it's too late. Okay, so red flags to avoid. The potential client shows up late to calls and meetings, sends too many emails and texts at all hours demanding a prompt reply, has an issue with the price or tries to haggle to get a discount, asks too many questions, is often confused or overwhelmed, attempts to negotiate terms of service to suit their whims, seems to know it all and or they speak down to you doesn't see you as an authority, tells you how to do your job, is shopping around for the best price, has demands that don't fit into how you do things, is rude, abusive, or disrespectful in any way. My friend, you are kind, smart, amazing at what you do, and you deserve to work with the very best clients out there. If someone doesn't fit that description, thank them for their time and wish them well, but they are not for you. And... To help you even further, I'm including my tried and true universal dream client checklist. My dream client behaves in a kind, respectful manner, asks pertinent questions, shows up to meetings and calls prepared and on time, is excited to work with me, understands and deeply values my services, understands and respects my terms, policies, and procedures, pays willingly and on time, fulfills all duties as a client and holds up their end of the bargain, is willing to put the work in to get the results, and as a bonus, is willing to and able to refer me to others. This last one is not a must, but again, if they're the dream we're talking about here, if someone's loved working with you, then why wouldn't they send their friends your way? Let's talk about firing a client. This part is never fun, but it needs to be addressed. Sometimes clients will choose to leave us. This departure almost always has everything to do with them and nothing to do with you. See it as a learning experience and thank the universe for it, then let them go. Now, sometimes things go awry and you wish your client would quit, but no matter what, you just can't seem to shake them. I have this amazing friend, Maya. She's been in her business a long time and she has incredible clients, an award-winning podcast, a growing team, and is seen as an authority in her space. It's safe to say she is no beginner. That said, Maya recently came to me and explained that she had to cut a client loose. What started out as a fruitful, mutually beneficial relationship had turned into a needy client who wanted a set of services that Maya and her team were no longer suited for. The relationship had ceased to be a win-win and Maya needed to end things. After many attempts, she finally broke through to this client. They have since parted ways and Maya is free to focus on her true dream client. So if you are ever in the situation where you need to fire a client, don't see it as a failure. See it as an opportunity to move through discomfort toward growth. If you're not as lucky as Maya, you might be in a situation like our dear Joanne. Remember her from the beginning of this chapter? Perhaps your clients are bullying you or not responding to your boundaries. Perhaps you missed a few red flags in the sales phase and now you're paying the price. It's okay. Take a deep breath. I've got a four-step framework for you to follow right here. How to fire a client 
framework. Step one, address the issue openly in real time. Sometimes a client doesn't realize when they're not holding up their end of the bargain. Other times they're just crossing their fingers, hoping to get away with it. In any event, schedule a conversation, ideally when you can see their face, so video conference, and let them know what isn't working for you. Speak openly and honestly about your concerns and why you find these troubling. You may wish to make some notes before the call to ensure that you don't leave anything out. Delivering negative feedback can be hard, but it's crucial to develop this skill as a business owner. The real key here is to deliver the feedback in real time, meaning the moment the issue arises. You're not waiting for some far off pre-scheduled meeting that will take place three weeks from now. You're jumping on a call and you're getting to the bottom of the issue pronto. Okay, so that's step number one. Step two, correction period. If the client's responsive, offer them a do-over. Suggest a period of time in which you will try to make things work and let them know the changes you'd like to see in order to continue working together. Then schedule a meeting to sit down and discuss your progress. The amount of time you give them to course correct will depend on the nature of what you do how frequently you have contact, etc. But for most working relationships, two to four weeks should do the trick. Note, if you provide a one-off service, like a photographer or a makeup artist, it may not make sense for you to offer a correction period. Simply finish the work you've been contracted to do and move on. Okay, step number three, firing with grace. If you've done steps one and two, but you still don't see a change, it's time to let them go with love and kindness. Sit down with your client and let them know that you really don't see it working out. In a kind way, explain why this relationship is no longer a fit and that you feel they would be better served by someone else. You can feel free to refer them to another service provider if you want, but don't feel obligated. After all, if this client is difficult, don't dump them on someone you value and respect, or you might risk damaging that professional relationship. Once the conversation is over and arrangements have been made to end your work together, make sure you get all those terms in writing. Step number four, cash out. In some cases, you may be in a situation where a refund is necessary, in which case it's best to get it over with ASAP. Issue that refund and be sure to send them a statement that captures what has transpired. You will want it for your financial records as well. Now, a word of caution. Please don't make it a habit to issue refunds. And if you must do so, try to keep the amounts as low as possible. It may feel liberating in the moment to throw money at the situation, but if it occurs too often, it can be problematic. If possible, and only if it makes sense to do so, you can offer a credit to a different offer or service. But if you just want the client gone at all costs, sometimes the only thing to do is hit them with that refund and then be done with them. And since we're on the topic of moolah, we need to talk. After years of doing this work, I can tell you that many of the biggest problems for business owners are money related. And there are a lot of reasons why that's the case. I know you may be nervous to talk about money, but don't worry, I'll hold your hand through it. It's time to take a look at your finances and the role they play in your joyful business. And then we move on to chapter four, which is all about business sales and money and all that good stuff. Okay. So there you have it. Chapter three of the book. As I say, we're still putting the final touches on it, but that's pretty close to what we're going to land on. And my hope is that there was something in there that resonated with you. Not because I want you to be experiencing this kind of pain when it comes to 
who you get to work with. But because, you know, when we can identify what's not working, that's how we can improve and create more joy. Sometimes we have to go through this uncomfortable stuff in order to create something amazing. In fact, I look at that story I tell about that woman named Kylie. Her name is not really Kylie. It is nothing like that, by the way. And throughout the book, in certain circumstances, I do use a few pseudonyms for various reasons. But in that case, I definitely didn't want to publish that person's name because it's not a nice story. I've actually shared parts of that story on this podcast before. So it probably should come as no surprise hearing that again. But I really do believe as dark as that time was and as hard as that experience was to live through, I really do believe it's made me a better judge of character and it's made me pay more attention to those red flags. So while it was painful, I I don't regret it one bit. And as I explain that whole story about Joanne, that's really like a mix of the clients that I've served and a mix of the stories I've heard over the years, but it's super, super common. So just know that if you're experiencing anything that looks like anything I shared, there is nothing wrong with you. It's totally normal. And there's lots of things that we can do to help. So this is just one chapter in the book where I help people get clear on the dream client. But then later in the book, we start to look at things like your marketing and how your marketing, when you're doing it well, should really feel joyful. And it should really be something that is attracting that person, right? So we have to do the dream client work first before we can go out and look at our marketing or our sales. And so with every chapter in this book, I really do try to pull apart one problem area. There's a whole chapter on scheduling because I know that for so many of my mamas listening, especially time management and and getting things done is really challenging from time to time. There's a whole chapter, as I said, on the money piece, right? Because feeling good about our money is so essential to feeling good about everything else in our life. So anyway, now I've given you the sneak peek. My hope is that you will go out and buy the book. Not because I want to sell a million books. I mean, that would be nice. But really, because there's so much more to understand about creating this joyful business. And I'm going to say by buying this book, you are essentially fast tracking your own happiness and your own success. I am sharing so many mistakes to avoid that I had to learn the hard way. And when I created this book and I look back on it now, I think this was the book I wish I had when I was first starting out. I had to, as I say, like learn these lessons here and there. Some of it was advice I got along the way from this place or that person, but there was no actual manual like this. Like this is really the blueprint to your joyful business. If you want one, this is the place to start. And a lot of it is stuff that I do with my high-end coaching clients that are paying five figures to work with me. It comes right out of those sessions. So anyway, I hope you love it. I hope you share it with someone who needs it more importantly, because you may not need this stuff anymore. You might be beyond this, but I feel like there's something in this book for everyone. And I hope that you go out, you enjoy it, you celebrate it, and you pass it on. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the business of thinking big. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. We would love it if you could leave us a review on iTunes, which will help more people like you find the show. And of course, you can learn more at leannekim.com. 